Welcome back to Salty Talks. I'm Corinne Newfie, the host, and today I have a special co-host joining me, my dad, Rommel Newfie. So I'm going to let him take it over from here. Hello. This is the Salty Talks podcast, a show all about sustainable aquaculture in Maine, put on by the Aquaculture Research Institute. I am Rommel Newfie, the co-host for today's show. I worked at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Golden, Colorado, known as NREL, for 36 years. And now I am retired and visiting Maine for the week. My daughter and I went up to the Center for Cooperative Aquaculture Research in Franklin, Maine. Here, we met with Tom Sorby from Kingfish to learn more about their operations. Tom Sorby has spent over a decade in North America working on various aquaculture projects. From British Columbia to Washington and over to Massachusetts, Tom's extensive experience has led him to this current venture with the Kingfish Company here in Maine. I'm Tom Sorby. I'm originally from York in the UK, but I've been over in the US now for, I think, 12 years, if not a little bit more. Um, I bounce around between uh, the U.S. and Canada. Spent some time uh, growing sablefish over on the West Coast. Um, grew barramundi down in Massachusetts. Uh, and then most recently, I've uh, been growing yellowtail kingfish with the Kingfish Company in Maine. Kingfish Maine is part of the Kingfish Company. And the Kingfish Company first started out uh, earlier in the Netherlands in a place called Zealand. Um, they established a fish farm over there, land-based recirculating system, to grow yellowtail kingfish back in 2015. They initially uh, wanted to produce around 600 metric tons annually. Um, they've since expanded uh, over the previous years. Uh, they now uh, can reach a capacity of 3,500 metric tons. Um, and so that's where it all started out. And then we've since, as a com- the m- companies migrated out to the US to establish a farm over here. Listening to Tom speak, I wondered why Maine? Is it the state's rugged, long coastline? Or is it perhaps that aquaculture isn't just practiced here in Maine, but part of the state's identity? Presenting a perfect opportunity that aligns with the ethos of the Kingfish Company? So how did Kingfish end up in the pine tree state? Well, Maine is already got a a vast aquaculture industry within the state. It's very varied. Um, there's obviously a lot of seaweed producers, there's shellfish producers, there's uh, other finfish producers. Um, so it seemed like the right fit for, an, for a new project. The fact that Maine has, a, I think, a coastline that's over 3,500 miles is also a big benefit to a mar- marine finfish facility because there's a lot of potential sites to build a build a, a land-based facility so it just seemed like the the right place to be and obviously you're close to some of the major markets such as boston and new york so it was a it was a great place to start out the the company the founders uh, definitely looked at other states particularly on the west coast obviously you've got washington that already has a lot of aquaculture uh, primarily uh, oysters and mussels uh, looked at california as well um, so they had looked at least across on the on the west coast there not so much in the southern states but yeah, they looked across out west. Before we unfold more of Kingfish's tale and their anchoring in Jonesport, I want to illuminate the technology and the core of their venture. 
Recirculating aquaculture systems, or RAS in essence, are a technology that allows for fish cultivation within a controlled environment, meticulously recycling and optimizing water conditions, thereby fostering a steady and reliable environment for fish growth. I think the big key advantage of growing fish in a RAS system is it's on land and it's inside a building, generally in a building. Um, and by being in a building and recirculating the water, you can uh, maintain a constant and optimum growing environment so you're not affected by the weather or by the seasons so the net traditional uh, farming methods such as net pens or raceways or ponds obviously they're affected by the change in seasons so primarily changing water temperature for example um, and that obviously has a big effect on fish growth um, whereas with a with a RAS with a RAS system because you can keep that temperature optimal you can keep all the other growing conditions optimal 365 days a year that means you can maximize your production and ideally decrease your time to market compared to a traditional net pen or, or raceway or pond system. This facility we're constantly reusing the water we only add a very small amount of new water so there's kind of key components for all RAS facilities so you have the tanks where you have the fish and then usually downstream of that there's some form of solids removal um, usually in the form of a drum filter for example um, that captures any solids from the system. Uh, you can have foam fractionation on top of that, which helps capture anything the drum filter might miss. Um, and then there's usually some form of CO2 removal, because obviously the fish produce CO2, that can drop the pH. So to help maintain the correct pH levels, we want to remove the CO2 from the system. Uh, from that, there's usually some form of disinfection within the system. Again, that's usually uh, UV or ozone or a combination of the two. And then there's usually some form of uh, oxygen uh, addition to that system, whether that's uh, a low head, oxy low head oxygenator or um, you can use U-tubes or various other methods to supersaturate the oxygen before it go, uh, in the water before it goes back to the tanks, to the fish. Um, and the other nice thing is because we're capturing the solids from the system, they are going out into the environment. Quite often those solids can be used for fertilizers, um, they can be used in biogas production, so at least you can capture them and do something with them. The fish yellowtail, scientifically known as Seriola lalandi, is new in the aquaculture scene, traditionally anchored by catfish, salmon, and tilapia. The market is actively exploring diversified sustainable seafood options to meet the growing demand for high-quality protein sources, and yellowtail fits right in. This fish, primarily found in regions like New Zealand and South Africa, has a mild sweet flavor and works great in various culinary applications, both cooked and raw. Cereal Lalandi. That's the, that's the species we grow. So um, Lalandi is primarily found in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, around New Zealand, um, South Africa, places like that. Uh, off the coast of California, you do find Cereola dorsalis which if you had the two species in a tank, which they used to do at Seacar, they used to have them in separate systems. But if you looked at them side by side, they essentially look identical. Um, so some geneticists decided they were different. And so you have Lalandi and you have Dorsalis. Um, right now, I believe we're the only, or will be the only commercial producer in the US. I know there's other farms right now that are uh, in the process of either building new farms to grow yellowtail kingfish. I know there's a proposed site in California, one in South Carolina. Um, so it's certainly starting to grow as a species in aquaculture. I know there's a there's a salmon farm other in Europe uh, who's tr switched to uh, growing yellowtail kingfish. I think it's relatively new in the aquaculture industry, but it's definitely rapidly growing. And again, it's because it does well in a RAS system. 
I guess the market size in about 12 months. Market size is around you know two to three kilo range, um, and it's a very popular fish to eat. Uh, whether people you know go out and eat it in a restaurant or it's really easy to cook at home or you can eat it raw. So it's it's a very versatile fish. So Dad, living in Colorado, I imagine that you don't hear a lot about RAS facilities. What sorts of questions did you find yourself pondering as we sat down and chatted with Tom? Something that immediately came to my mind was uh, species. With all the tech and investment that RAS demands, how do they decide which fish to form? Yeah, species is is definitely a a key part of it because technically you can grow any species in a RAS system. Um, But because RAS system is particularly capital expensive. There's a lot of expensive equipment. There's a building. Uh, there's upfront costs. You really want to uh, focus on high-value uh, fish species. So, which is why we chose yellowtail kingfish because it commands a high market price. Uh, but that's kind of one of the key components to growing a fish in a RAS system. The other key component of of growing uh, fish in a RAS system is ideally you want fish that can handle. Um, growing at higher densities so that means you can produce more fish in a smaller footprint and the other the other advantage is if those fish do well at higher densities you can manipulate the water quality parameters to still maximize their growth so you can add in additional oxygen for example which is obviously critical to um, their production like salmon yeah salmon's another another one it's obviously a very popular fish uh, everybody knows what a salmon is pretty much um, and so the even now you see there's a lot of projects in the US and the world, some that are already online and more that are coming online and that's becoming a big focus in RAS is, is growing salmon. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be other species that get added to the list as, as time goes by, especially I think as, as the costs of doing of growing fish in RAS come down, I think more species will shift to that. You know, you're less relying on your location per se. Um, you're kind of removing them from the environment. A nice advantage of it is there's less risk of escapees. In fact, it's almost minimal or non-existent because it really would be a challenge for a fish to manage to get out of your tank, get out of your building, and make it back to the to the water body close by. Uh, so that obviously is a is a key component to it. And then I think pe- disease people look at disease issues with with fish farming and. Um, the nice thing about uh, a RAS facility is because you're filtering and disinfecting the water before it comes into your building and when it leaves, um, you really minimize and almost eliminate that disease risk. So there's obviously less reliance on antibiotics, which we all know um, overuse of antibiotics in whether it's humans or any other sort of uh, farming uh, can cause problems further down the line. With a lot of marine species, the most challenging part is always the larval rearing part of it so because during the larval rearing phase uh, unlike a salmon that can go straight onto a onto a fish pellet um, with marine species they always have to start on a live feed of some description Um, generally that's rotifers and then artemia there are new feeds out there there's cryoplankton which is cryogenically frozen uh, barnacle norpii which is pretty cool so there's a company in norway that collects them somehow freezes them in liquid nitrogen and then you simply defrost them they reanimate and then you feed them to the tank and that is much easier to do than having to run a, a rope for culture um, but yeah I think that's the most the most critical stage to it because once you've got once you've got through that larval rearing through all that early development developmental stages um, 
the fish are much more robust um, and then they can just move on to a, a traditional fish fish food or fish pellet um, and then from there it's you know it's it's kind of the same process as if you were growing a salmon for example you know as the fish get bigger the fish the fish pellet size gets larger you're moving them into larger systems you're grading and then ultimately harvesting so it's once you get into that stage, it's very similar to any other any other fish you might grow. Given my background on renewable energy and specializing in photovoltaics, I can't help but wonder about waste generated from the fish. For instance, in the photovoltaic technology, people have creative ways to recycle solar modules that have passed their useful lifetime. Is there a similar approach of sustainability here with the fish waste? Yeah, in the Netherlands as well, because in the Netherlands they often uh, use a lot of the um, the solid waste they capture for fertilizing on the fields. Uh, and the Netherlands, even though we're growing it in a in seawater, so that that uh, that fish sludge waste is can be quite salty because the Netherlands is very low lying. Um, the crops around there can tolerate that little bit of additional salt. We do plan with the Jones Spot facility to actually send that to a biogas uh, producer that's, that's close by. So it'll be used. So let's shift our focus now to the heart of the operation, the community of Jonesport. The establishment of this facility in the town wasn't arbitrary. Beyond the search of an ideal location for the building itself, there was a conscious effort to find a community that would welcome Kingfish, recognizing its potential benefits rather than seeing it as a mere industrial project. The acceptance and support from the Jonesport community were crucial, as Kingfish sought not to just exist, but to grow symbiotically within the town. Myself uh, and my partner and co-worker Megan were involved very early on. Uh, the founders in, of the farm in the Netherlands had already chosen Maine. Um, we did have um, a couple of different sites that we looked at before we actually finally settled on Jonesport. Um, and so we helped advise on that side of things. And, but ultimately we did uh, settle on Jonesport. I think there was a couple of critical aspects to that. Not only did we need to find the ideal site to actually put the building, but we also wanted to make sure that we were in a community that actually wanted us to be there, uh, especially, you know, aquaculture um, isn't always viewed in a great light. Uh, there's often a lot of people that would like to see it disappear, unfortunately, which I think is a shame. Um, and so it was very, it was critical for us to make sure that we we found a town that wanted us to be there, that um, want to accept us and then and, and grow, grow will grow with the town essentially. So when we were driving through Johnsport, the town struck me as a more of the classic Maine lobster town I usually picture. Aquaculture wasn't noticeably obvious to me. How does RAS facility integrate into a region like this? Yeah, so lobster fishing has long been the heartbeat of this coastal town providing livelihoods and shaping a way of life. Generations of families have depended on lobsters with techniques being passed down through the ages. The arrival of aquaculture signifies an addition of opportunity, adding economic diversification alongside what already exists. Yeah, there's not really much aquaculture in Jonesport itself. On Beals Island, there's the Down East Institute, which is an amazing place where they do a lot of uh, uh, shellfish work. Um, but in Jonesport itself, no, there isn't really any aquaculture. Um, however, Jonesport, you know, is all about seafood. Um, I believe it lands the most lobsters of any other town in the state. Um, and obviously the lobster industry has been a vital part of the town uh, for many years. 
way back when uh, there were still sardine fisheries, there was, I think, at one point up to five sardine factories in the town. Uh, and back then, there was a lot more going on in the town. The population was larger. There's a lot more kids in the school. Um, it really was quite the booming uh, kind of seafood economy. Um, obviously, as people know, the, the sardines went away and so did the sardine factories. And since then, it's kind of been on a somewhat of a steady decline. The population's got smaller. The school sizes have shrunk. And the, um, really, the only real industry there right now is primarily lobster fishing. Um, and so we knew that we wanted to make sure that we would fit in well with that. And I think the nice thing is from some of the feedback from the people in town is they see it as kind of like the sardine factories coming back into town. It's like we're, it's another, you know, employment opportunity for somebody in the town for a family or and their children where, you know, they may want to be lobster fishermen, but not everybody can be a lobster fisherman. And so it just gives them another opportunity, really. Uh, so do you think there is skepticism and hesitation? Because the idea of an advanced aquaculture system like RAS is new and unfamiliar. Yeah, I think there might be. It seems to me like it's all about dialogue and demystifying concerns in a gradual process of integration with community engagement and understanding at its core. No, that is right. I think skeptical is the right word. I think because initially what we did is we we approached the town and I'll, I'll say this, we, we had to get some help early on because my initially there was only myself, Megan and uh, Tom Reynolds. There's only the three of us and the team in the Netherlands. And we knew we we're going to need some help in the community engagement side of things because we primarily just grow fish and that's what we know. Um, and so we, we brought in Diana Fletcher, who is an expert and amazing at many things But one of those things is community engagement. And so we initially um, met with a lot of kind of the VIPs and leaders and business owners in the town uh, just to kind of talk through the project with them. Um, and obviously that was met with a healthy dose of skepticism because not a lot of people know much about aquaculture um, or they might only know about salmon farming or they might only know about oyster growing. They really didn't know anything about land-based recirculating systems um, as it is relatively new in the scheme of the aquaculture industry. And so very early on, we knew it was important for us to engage with people face to face uh, and just be there to talk through the project, answer any questions they have. Um, and we really kind of spent time breaking down, you know, into manageable bites, not only our project, but recirculating systems overall. Um, one, very early on, one of the first kind of informal meetings we had in town, I just went and talked about RAS, as we mentioned, briefly explained at the beginning of the podcast. I literally just broke it down with slides, with pictures, explained each of the components, explained how it worked. Um, and I think that that obviously helped people understand uh, what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, we're not some big, scary new thing that's going to destroy Jonesport. Naturally, there were apprehensions, particularly about water quality. Chandler Bay is a source of livelihood, a symbol of both tradition and ecology. Something new might raise concerns. Tom's words, however, were those of commitment and contribution to the community, respecting and preserving daily life while also introducing new possibilities and opportunities. Broad range, as you might imagine, the questions. There was definitely a lot of water quality concerns because Chandler Bay, uh, where, we, where we'll draw our water from for the facility, there's a lot of lobster fishing that goes on there. There's a lot of scallop dragging that goes on there when it's open. Um, and so water quality was definitely one of the, I guess, top concerns. Um, you know, people were worried that we were going to come in there and kind of pollute everything. 
um, kill all the lobsters, suck all the lobsters up, um, kind of just destroy what was already there. Um, and so we obviously reassure them that simply wouldn't be the case. We, the thing with aquaculture is because you're using the water to grow a, a fish, in our case, in the water, we have to maintain a high water quality. If we were to pollute the bay like people fear that we would do, then we wouldn't be able to grow fish. Um, and if we can't grow fish, then all we've done is wasted a lot of money and time in building a facility, and then we wouldn't be able to actually produce anything. Hearing these concerns, I asked Tom how Kingfish navigated the town's questions, particularly around water quality and potential impacts to the lobster industry. Yeah, I think engaging the community through initiatives that offer a platform for dialogue, like we'll hear about from Tom, definitely helped to ease concerns. So this all started uh, four and a half years ago now, um, and we still, have, unfortunately, still not built yet. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it took a very long time uh, to get through the process. Uh, Maine has very strict, and rightly so, uh, rules and regulations around uh, aquaculture. Um, but that also means it takes a lot, long time to get through that process. So over kind of the initial two years to get through the permitting process, we spent, not only did we have to do the kind of mandatory talks in town where we explain the permits, explain all the information in the permits, but then, as I said, we had those additional informational sessions. We would have what we call coffee with kingfish, where we would go down to um, the Musabek, which is a little kind of, uh, store where people are always in and out there's always lobster fishermen and everyone else in and out of there and we would just kind of go there meet with people anybody that wanted to come in and say hello ask a question so we always made ourselves available in person we didn't want to just have here's an email or here's a phone call because uh, that doesn't help you connect with people uh, people need to you know speak to you face to face on top of that um, we would have uh, we've had chef Barton Siever come into town in the summer and he talks about aquaculture in general uh, again, and then he also cooks some of the fish so people can, you know, taste the fish, which always goes down well. It's always a very popular day. Um, and so I think that's really helped people, helped us build support and trust in the community. Uh, and people now have a much better understanding of what we do. Um, and then on top of that, we're here at the UMAIN Center for Cooperative Aquaculture Research, where we have systems and we have fish. So people, from Jonesville have come down and they can have a look. They can have a look at the, the equipment components that I've been discussing with them. They can have a look at how a, a RAS system operates. They can have a look at the fish. They can you know, poke around all over and really get a much better understanding of the, the entire process. And then, yeah, the jobs aspect of it. There's a, there's a wide range of jobs that come with an aquaculture facility, especially a land-based one. Um, you know, you've got the biological side of things with all the fish growing um, and then you've got more mechanical electrical uh, aspects which is all linked to the systems and the system components and maintenance um, processing is another aspect of that and then obviously you've got all your more traditional administrative jobs around that as well so it's it's a very broad range um, that is available to to people and i think that obviously people are very interested in that because not everybody wants to grow fish or not everybody knows how to fix a pump um and and just to add on to that the nice thing is because obviously people in town are used to working either around water which they'll do if they're if they're growing fish but they're also used to you know pumps and motors and various other sort of mechanical things anywhere so yeah it's definitely a good fit yeah yeah exactly yeah that's it 
It's really cool to see how Kingfish isn't just setting up shop, but weaving into Jonesport with conversation, hands-on experience, and even fish tasting. Well, absolutely. I actually would like to hear from Tom about the hands-on experience at Seacar he was mentioning. We're at the facility right now, and I'm impressed with the technological approach and the degree of progress towards sustainable aquaculture, especially witnessing fish growth from juvenile to full-grown and hopefully tasty meal. The key reason why we moved to Maine, because Sika has already had actually some yellowtail brewster, which is a good start, um, but they also have a lot of space here, uh, and they use that space as business incubators. So we we lease space here, and we've over the past four years we've built uh, new brew stock systems. We built quarantine system for when we bring in fish from the Netherlands. Um, we have the full hatchery, so we can we can spawn fish. We can incubate the eggs. We can do the larval rearing, and ultimately we can do a small amount of grow, or we can grow the fish so we can send them to Jonesport because we. Before going to Jonesport, there's obviously a lot of uh, prep work we have to do, mainly on the biological side of things. So it's all well and good building a building and filling it with RAS systems, but if you've got no fish to put in there, you can't do anything. And so CCAR has been extremely important for us, space for us, to be able to build up that brew stock population. And that's ultimately what we'll be doing, or have been doing, and will continue to do. Um, so that we have all the brew stock available so they can grow, they can produce the eggs that we need to ultimately produce the fish. Um, we'll probably be able to hold around 200 to feet, 250 to 300 individuals here, um, depending on size, um, and that'll give us a great jumping off point once the Jonespot facility is built. I think ultimately we'll, we'll, we'll have a hatchery in Jonespot and we'll move a lot of that over there, but I could still see Seacar playing an important role in the future, whether that's extra space for holding brew stock, because you always need to re replenish your brew stock. Um, it also gives us a space to do a lot of research and development, whether that's trying out different diets or trying out different system components. Um, it gives us a lot of uh, flexibility. So how long until you're totally moved into Jonesport? In an ideal world, right now, as soon as possible, but in all reality, uh, due to a few um, roadblocks that we're dealing with right now. We probably won't start construction until uh, 2025 at the earliest, and it'll take probably two to three years to build. So, you know, we're a long way out to having fish in Jonesport, which is frustrating for us and frustrating for the people in the town. All right, 2028. I'm going to be eating some sashimi. That's kingfish. Yeah, it'll be well worth the wait, though. With community ties strengthened, what vision does Kingfish harbor for its future in the region, and how does it plan to further contribute to the vibrancy of Jonesport? Kingfish Main, uh, we are going to, in this next year, carry on the biological prep work at Seacar, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we're going to focus on uh, the design of the facility in Jonesport, so even though we already have um, a kind of basis for design from the Netherlands facility, there are obviously things that we'll want to uh, tweak and change and improve. Uh, for the Jonesport site, obviously there's obviously different construction methods uh, in Maine as there would be in the Netherlands, so there's kind of a lot around that side of things. Um, and then ultimately, um, we still have to get through a couple of appeals on our permits, uh, which will definitely take 
all of 2024 to get through. Community engagement very early on. Um, we approached the high school in town, the Jones Pop Beals High School, um, and we, uh, in speaking with them, they were keen to do some sort of aquaculture education within the school. And so we uh, helped them uh, establish an aquaculture course. Um, and what we did initially about three years ago now, I think, we bought them a very small, simple RAS system. They were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we bought them this really basic RAS system um, that allowed them to grow some fish right in the classroom. And so we started off with tilapia because we figured, you know, they're easy to grow. Um, Temperature was a bit of an issue. Obviously, Maine gets pretty cold in the winter, and uh, but you know at least they're inside in the building. So we uh, yeah, we grew tilapia with the students. Our students did the bulk of the work. We set the system up and then left them to it. Um, and then at the end of the year, they harvested the fish and actually made, we made uh, fish tacos and fed them to the bulk of the school or anybody that came in to eat them. Um, so that was great for the students because they got to see kind of the whole production cycle, learn more about aquaculture, and obviously it was hands-on. Um, since then, um, the te aquaculture teacher, Robin Monini, has really grown that course. Um, she uh, built a greenhouse outside and they've added an aqu aquaponics uh, part to the aquaculture program. So now they're growing a bunch of different plants and, and vegetables in the system. There's always a different plant when we go there. They're always experimenting and trying new things. Um, and then just this year, um, I know they were, they were awarded a grant for about $250,000 and they've now, they're in the process of building an even bigger greenhouse. So growing this, growing that whole aquaculture course even more. I think the new greenhouse is about at least twice the size of the current one. So I'm excited to see that. Kingfisher's involvement in education initiatives is commendable. Getting programs like this up and running in schools is beneficial to Maine's workforce development and the blue economy. Exposing students to a myriad of opportunities in the marine industry, be it aquaculture, trade skills, lobster fishing, or other facets, is huge and definitely something I wish I had when I was younger. The one thing we've noticed, especially this last year, we were just at the school a few weeks ago and we took in some kingfish and we, we uh, talked through the fish and we, we filleted the fish and cooked the fish up. But it was nice to hear from some of the students that like they're really excited that there's something else that they can do and still stay in the state of Maine. Uh, and hopefully in Jonesport, obviously, we'd like to employ them in the future. But um, yeah, it just, just kind of opens a world. Because again, we want to keep them in Maine and develop the workforce here, but they can also go anywhere in the world. I mean, aquaculture's all over, and the US is slowly catching up with the rest of the world, but um, it's still got a lot more to do. Yeah. Like, I'm all for aquaculture education. I'm all, more we need more of it in the US. I was very fortunate because in the UK, my uh, undergraduate degree was in aquaculture. It was all very hands-on. I had a lot of uh, work placements over the years while I was there. Um, and then I went on to do a master's degree also in aquaculture. So my whole background is an education which purely in aquaculture, which there there is there are aquaculture courses in the universities in the US, but it's not as in depth as I'd seen in the UK. Um, so it's nice to see that not only are more universities engaging and growing their aquaculture programs, um, but I think it's important to get into the high schools so that, you know, early on, uh, kids can learn that there's, you know, there are other industries out there. And as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of negative connotations around aquaculture. So I think it's important to educate, you know, the future generations in, hey, it's not, you know, it's not this terrible doom and gloom thing that's going to destroy the environment. Uh, you know, it can be done in a very sustainable way. Um, and I think it just gives gives them another opportunity. Yeah, I think John Port too that 
Wrapping up, I think it's crucial to highlight the dynamics of social license and community engagement as exemplified by Kingfish Maine's endeavors. For example, the proactive vote against a six-month moratorium on aquaculture development in the town not only represents a green light for Kingfish, but also signals the community's informed and collective confidence in embracing aquaculture. This navigation underscores a broader narrative. Maine, with its rich maritime legacy, is also optimistically steering towards a future where aquaculture too can play a pivotal role in sustaining both its economy and livelihoods of its communities. And uh, of course, the most important part is how does it taste? So Tom was kind enough to send us home with a bit of yellowtail and I just made it for dinner. And dad, what is the verdict on yellowtail? Yellowtail is some of the best tasting white fish I've ever had in Maine. <laughs> you heard it from the legend, Rommel Newby. One more time. Love it. <laughs>